And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, playoff episode number 18. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli here with you. On this episode, we recap the Dodgers' Game one win over the Rays. Clayton Kershaw pitched very well. The Dodgers had a huge inning, a four-run fit that was really pretty pivotal in this one. We're going to break it all down and take a look ahead at Wednesday's game two matchup. I know we had really high hopes for this game going in. We had our live stream about 30 minutes before first pitch on Tuesday night, and all of our scores were low and close, and we didn't get a game quite like that. And if you told me then that we'd be criticizing a pitcher-related decision from one of the managers, I think the obvious choice would have been, well, it has to be Dave Roberts. And instead, we get a gem from Clayton Kershaw. His slider was working. That was a huge story. 8Ks over six innings, just one earned run allowed. Weirdly, a home run to Kevin Kiermeyer. Stupid, sexy Flanders with a bad hand homering off of a lefty. Never saw that one coming. Uh, so it's kind of nice that the story is not Dave Roberts and Clayton Kershaw and how that was mismanaged. It was Kershaw coming out and having one of his best postseason starts that we've ever seen before. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about Glass now continuing to pitch when, as we were talking off air, it seemed like the writing was on the wall there in the fourth inning. Um, this game was decided by the middle innings. Sure, the Rays put some runners on later. The Dodgers tacked on some runs. There were some good defensive plays. Um, but to me, this, this game was decided by leaving Glass now in and, you know, the, the, the Dodgers kind of putting this game out of reach because once you're up four or five runs for Tampa Bay's offense the way they're going right now, it does seem kind of out of reach, does it not? It sets up the B bullpen for the Dodgers, um, puts them in a pretty good spot after game one. And I guess I'm just wondering, guys, what? why keep Glass now in in that situation? Is it, 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 Why? Take him out! <laughs> Take him. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's some people pointed to like Glass now had decent splits third time through the order this year. But I, I think that's a little bit like trying to project someone into a reverse platoon split or something. I wouldn't do that until they had that for a long time in their right. career. I wouldn't expect, especially someone with two pitches, um, to to be good the third time through the order. Someone with two pitches who was fighting his command the whole game, that walked six guys eventually, walked two guys in the fourth. And, you know, DVR, you were making references to the sweater song in the fourth <laughs> inning. <laughs> you know, it's what it true. felt like, right? It, yeah. You could just watch it. The threads were coming undone with every pitch. I mean, Glasnow was missing low. He was missing up. He walked Muncie, gave up the home run to Bellinger. And 
with the top of the order coming back up to start the fifth and the pitch count being high, it seemed like the clearest possible path for the Rays to switch over to the bullpen, try to keep it close, try to scratch out the game-tying run, an eventual go-ahead run, and grind it out, try to win it 3-2. That seemed like it had to be the script and, at right. that point. And it wasn't that they just left him in to see... How does he do against Betts? Okay, he got Betts out. How does he do against Seager? Oh, he got Seager out. They weren't going one batter at a time. They just kept the foot on the gas. Like I, I thought a quick hook was a certainty, and I mean it was the running joke on Twitter. It was oh my goodness, Tyler Glass now still here. I have no explanation. 112 pitches. That's so it's weird. It's a World Series game. It's not even like let's test it out on the backfields of Bradenton. Like I just thought it. It. I don't know. Did it catch Kevin Cash flat footed? Didn't know there was nobody warming up. It wasn't like the Rays had guys up in the fourth, which they probably should have. And you can't even say like, uh, well, you know, they like this was like a bullpen management thing. If they were going to go to Ryan Yarborough, which is the guy they went to eventually, they could have gone to Ryan Yarborough in the fifth. You know, like Ryan Yarborough is kind of a long guy. Right. 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 They could have started the inning with him there. And yeah. instead they, they waited. I mean. The Dodgers' top six is loaded. It's weird to see Cody Bellinger hitting sixth in any lineup. You have to alternate righty-lefty, righty-lefty, righty-lefty. So you have to kind of think about your matchups, who you trust against hitters on both sides. And to start the inning, I think the question is, if you were going to put a reliever in the game, I'm not sure Yarbrough's the guy I would have picked at the very beginning of the inning. I think I would have started with someone, one of the righties, maybe Thompson, someone that's a very different look from Glass now. Let him face the first three hitters and then probably switched over to Yarbrough for that lefty-righty-lefty sequence, right? The Muncie-Will-Smith-Bellinger trio. That would have been my move is to go to one of the righties for those first three hitters, go to Yarbrough for the four, five, and six if you have to go that far. Maybe you're lucky. Maybe you got an out or two before you even you get to Muncie and Yarbrough maybe only has to face one hitter. And... I don't think this impacts Yarbrough's availability for a possible Game 4 start. I think when we were mapping out how the rotation might be put together, he was the guy that made sense as the Game 4 starter. He threw fewer than 20 pitches, I think, so he's fine as far as going in a few days, potentially. But the main question I have, when when people screw up, we're so good at saying, hey, this is wrong. This person screwed up. This was a bad decision. We have to answer the question, what should they have done instead? That's where I feel like a lot of times we all kind of fall short. Not the three of us, but the collective we. It's so fun to just throw the stones, but what should have been the move instead? I think for me, it would have been Ryan Thompson. It seems very clear that they didn't have a good plan B, and that plan A, 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, was to get Glass now through five innings. Because it went against everything that the Rays normally do right it was so unraised like i i just kept like so i was stunned yeah so maybe maybe they were maybe they were the ones that got caught in the roberts situation from the last world series he was in where where he was too scripted you know in that in that world series is that we were always going to go to kenley jansen for two innings you right know? that's a good point maybe it was the rays today that said we were always going to go to tyler glass now for five innings listen I'm I'm into analytics, but you got to give people autonomy in their jobs. 
You know, that's one thing I think it's amazing about The Athletic is they let us do our jobs. And yes, they ask us to do certain things and do certain things, but there's often a time, like all these collaborations that I do with like Brit and other people, it has to do with like me feeling like I can just say, hey, you, let's do this thing together, you know? And I and I don't feel like I have to like check with everybody. I, I think, you know, you've seen some moves from Dave Roberts that suggest that maybe the, the, the Dodgers loosen the the grip on him a little bit and said, maybe you can make some decisions on your own. Sometimes it's leaving in Kershaw too long. You, you'd think that the Dodgers front office, like, like I said earlier today on our live stream, like if the, if this dork can see it, other dorks can see it. There were dorks in the Dodgers organization that said, you know, take Kershaw out earlier. Uh, but maybe Roberts was allowed to, to make that decision. And maybe cash wasn't allowed to, to make a different decision today. If they didn't have guys warming to start the fifth, so, you know, that, that was a little bit weird. One thing that also occurred to me today while watching this was, was interesting. Kershaw on the first came out and was throwing 92 and a half um, on his fastball. And that that's, would be one of his best fastball velocities of the year. But he couldn't find the slider at all. And they're, like everyone's joking, where's the slider, where's the slider? Then he comes out in the second inning and now he's throwing 91 and a half and he found the slider. And John Smoltz once told me, you know, I wish he, I wish he was a little bit more honest sometimes on the on the cast. I think, but John Smoltz told me on my podcast, um, he said, um, I said something like, you know, I always bet on you in the postseason among the the Braves. Like I always thought you were the postseason guy for the Braves because I thought you could take it up a notch in the postseason. They were kind of command artists and they had to depend on the, on the umpire. And he said, yeah, you know, yeah, I was better than the other two. He said, yeah, I agree with you. And he basically said I was a power pitcher. And so that extra velocity, you know, in the postseason, there's about an, an extra mile per hour on average, um, that that extra velocity benefited him, whereas it might not have benefited uh, people like uh, Greg Maddox or Tom Glavin or Clayton Kershaw. And if we're talking about homers and being tired in the sixth inning and Kershaw being amped in this start, it kind of all came together. Where I was like, ah, oh, maybe Kershaw is a command artist. Maybe Kershaw is more Maddox and Glavin than Smoltz. And maybe some of these problems have come out with him throwing too hard, losing a little bit of that command that makes him so great, um, especially in the fifth and sixth and seventh innings. So great start, though, from Kershaw. When he settled down, he really found that command. Um, and I really thought that he had, he almost, it almost looked like he had three breaking balls going. There was kind of a super slow slider that he used, too. So uh, just showed really great feel after the first inning. And uh, kudos to him, man. I think his his ERA is down below three for this postseason. We talk and talk about like, hey, can't overextend Clayton Kershaw. And not once did any of us or anyone really that I saw say like, hey, maybe if the Dodgers just go out and score a whole bunch of runs, we don't have to sit here and debate whether Clayton Kershaw was left in too long or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you knew, though, if, if it were 2-1, if the – massive four-run fifth inning didn't happen. It's 2-1 going into the sixth. The question was going to be a much more difficult one to answer, right? I put it out there as a poll when the game was still 2-1. to one. It was, so what's your move to start the sixth? 77% said leave Kershaw in. 23% said go to the pen. And I think the move was to go to the pen at 2-1. to one. 
at six to one, you don't have to do that. You could try to get him through a few more hitters, keep an eye on the pitch count, keep an eye on the stuff. You, you can work with that buffer a little bit more. But in a one-run game, the right call, despite a low pitch count, would have been to go to the pen. I don't have a doubt about that after what we've been seeing from Kershaw in so many of his right. Well, he starts. has the tendency to give up the home runs when he's left in too long. And in a one-run game, you can't have that happen. So, yeah, I agree with you. It was kind of nice. You see you guys kind of hugging him in the dugout. And you could see that he actually was able to enjoy, or at least kind of enjoy, watching the Dodgers after he came out of a game, which I imagine just must be torturous for some of these postseason starts where he's either given up the lead or the offense hasn't done anything. We've watched Clayton Kershaw suffer through so many postseason games. Uh, as much as I would like the race to win, I picked the race to win. It's kind of hard to not pull for Clayton Kershaw, right? At some point in time to do well, just because this is a Hall of Famer who has just been absolutely dogged throughout his career for not being a playoff guy. And the fact that he's not really the story at all tonight has to be some kind of major win for him, no? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a win for Dave Roberts <laughs> that we're, we're not spending this whole show blaming, analyzing yes, his we're decisions. We're blaming Kevin Cash instead. Dave Roberts is like, finally, somebody else. Make fun of his bullpen decisions. But this was a great start for Kershaw just across all of his starts. I've seen a lot of good stats. Alex Fast had one. Kershaw finishes the game with a 43.5% uh, called strike and whiff rate. I mean, that's outstanding. It's the CSW we've been talking about. Second highest of the season, fourth highest of his entire career. So not just postseason Kershaw, but all Kershaw. Check this out. The Athletic MLB, nice nice pull here. 19 swings, on, 19 swings and misses on 38 swings. That is the highest whiff rate of any start in Clayton Kershaw's career. Um, and then I saw another one from Katie Sharp. She pointed out uh, Clayton Kershaw, first pitcher in Dodgers history with eight plus K, um, eight plus strikeouts, two hits or fewer allowed in a World Series or NLCS game. I mean, some of these are kind of funny. Like, I think there's one about uh, uh, Mookie Betts being the first one to like I have a homer and two steals in a World Series. I, I don't know. And two runs scored. That's a weird, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's a great game, but that's never happened in the postseason before. You're, you're kind of playing bingo there. You're like, oh, he's the first one to like yeah. scratch his knee and sniff and sneeze and yeah. then hit a homer. And, and also I mean? see it's six like, pitches I, and one at bat. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, once it gets that much. But this Kershaw one, I mean, 8K and two hits. And in Dodgers history, like, this is a pretty like, – there's an extensive Dodgers history of the postseason. There's some Hall of Fame pitchers in there. And I think one of the things that probably sets it apart is 8-plus Ks. We're in, the, we're in the time of Ks. So, you know, maybe Koufax never had eight strikeouts or, or any of those old Dodger greats. But still, uh, uh, pretty pretty amazing stats there for Kershaw. And I'm, I, I'm happy for him, man. I mean, I don't think – Anybody, no one deserves to struggle in the postseason for for their whole career. Exactly. A lot of haymakers being thrown on, on Twitter at uh, the Red Sox and John Henry <laughs> as Mookie Betts, though, putting together a great game. We knew those punches were going to come if Mookie Betts uh, showed up in game one, and he more than showed up in game one. He was outstanding. Uh, others kind of subplot here. Cody Bellinger's shoulder seems to be fine. He, of course, hit that early home run, uh, made that catch in the ninth inning. Did kind of hesitate on a ball uh, in, I think it was the seventh inning, if I'm not mistaken. The ball in the gap looked like he was kind of trying to avoid a collision with the wall, but 
I don't think you have much to worry about as far as Bellinger's shoulder goes. At this point, that was something we were a little unsure of as this game began, of course, the celebration with Kike Hernandez. Uh, congrats to Britt for hitting the over-under on Tyler Glass now strikeouts, by the way. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a real sweat that he got over the six we and a half. should have done an over-under on his walks, though. <laughs> or pitches we would have all lost. There's no way any of us would have picked anywhere in the stratosphere of that. You could have got great odds on Glass now going over probably even 105 pitches, and he went way over that. And the Mookie Betts thing... Is the who would trade Mookie Betts? Is that now becoming like just regular lexicon in baseball? It's like, hey, how are you? Who would trade Mookie Betts? Because that's all you see every time he makes a good play. It's <laughs> all you see on Twitter. And what was the the now deleted uh, Red Sox Twitter account uh, response, which taught me a, a Twitter acronym that I didn't know. If you know, you know. Yeah. I yeah. I Y K Y K. I did not uh, know that it was before. A- now it was I about know. creating cap space, and they like tweeted a photo of like a computer, and I think it was like the delete button, maybe or something similar. And it was about uh. celebrating creating cap space, and then if you know, you know. Which now you know, Eno. Now you know. I was raised in I was raised on Fangraphs, like that. That I was you were born raised on, on chickens. You know what I mean? So like I understand the whole idea. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and the chickens. But I was, you know, I was raised on the idea of like financial efficiency and like, you know, uh, paying the least amount of dollars for your wins so that you can have the financial flexibility. Like, I understand all that. I, I get that. But when the Dodgers saw all this and they they are too born of the same idea they are too born of the raise idea they have friedman as an executive they want to be efficient they want to get the most they traded away ross stripling in the middle of a of a world series run just because they were like hey we can get something for yeah. him. <laughs> you know? like they were they're just always trying to get something and yet when they saw Mookie Betts as attainable and as someone they could add to their roster, they went and did it. And I, you can tell me about win cycles or whatever, but tell me this. You, do, you don't think the Dodgers are going to be useful? I mean, the Red Sox are going to be useful in the next three years. You don't think they're going to get back to being contenders and Mookie Betts could have been there through some bad years and then be there again when they get to the World Series? The, the, that's what the Red Sox have done. So, yes, you want Verdugo types that are cheap and will give you three to four wins. However, when you start getting up to 7, 8, 9, 10 wins out of one player, there's almost no amount of money that it's not worth. Because you're getting 10 wins out of one player and nobody else is. There's like three other players like that in the big leagues. He's a generational guy. If you get a chance to get a top five player, yeah, a generational player, you do it. Especially if you have the money to do it. And the Red Sox have the money to do it. The Rays... That's something we can talk about. Like, are the Rays going to sign Trevor, Trevor Bauer? We'll talk about that in the offseason. But right now, it's relevant that the Red Sox, who have money, decided they'd rather have financial flexibility and Alex Verdugo and some other guys who might be three-win players instead of, you know, holding on to a superstar. I think it's worth I think it's worth being mad at the Red Sox for that. And, it, and it's separate, almost, from any sort of pro labor concerns or salary cap or free agency. It's just about, are you a team that wants to win? Right. Then you keep moving right. bets. When you make moves like that, it is a fair question to ask. I think there was always this other question with bets. Did he want to stay? 
with free agency, would he have taken the same deal to stay in Boston? Or did he want to call his own shot and go play somewhere else eventually? And were the Dodgers on the list of teams that he would have signed with as a free agent had he just played out the rest of his team control years in Boston? No one gets mad at Boston. No one gets mad at you as the owner if you let your superstar go as a free agent. If you You trade him away and then get the flick. Yeah, you still get qualifying offer, gets you the pick. So it's not like you get nothing and you still get the chance to win with him. Yeah, and also California has a really hard time attracting free agents. Because of the tax rate? Yes, it's pretty bad. Like the Giants have been screwed on this before and I'm sure the Dodgers have been screwed on it. There are teams where players take money less money to go because the because the overall money they get is more than if they go right. to California. I mean, it's just it's just a thing that's happened. So you you could say, hey, he's he's not really loving our offers right now, but you know, once it's us versus the Dodgers, we're going to be able to say, hey, our our deal here is worth like thirty more million for to you because of yeah, taxes. That's true. I mean, here's the thing about Mookie that I kind of like that kind of gets lost. He he. Even when he's not hitting, you know, he makes those crazy plays. We talk about those a lot. Um, and we talked about the the thing with the stolen bases and why that's so rare. And that's because, like, speed isn't a thing we see in modern baseball too much anymore. I hope Mookie Betts kind of brings – I hope we realize how exciting speed can be. Because you saw it with not only the stolen bases, but with the way he aggressively scored that run. They didn't have a chance on that play. So I really hope – that we kind of get back to some element. And you talked about this on the, the pregame show, you know, how fast the Dodgers are. And you can already see that they're going to push the envelope here during this series. And wouldn't it be really cool if we had speed again in this game where it's become home runs and strikeouts that we also saw some excitement on the base paths again. To me, Mookie Betts is a player that can like make that cool, right? He can, he can make speed and, and base running cool. And there aren't many other players who are that dynamic who you can watch and be like, yeah, this is what I, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to emulate. So I know that was just something I was thinking about while watching the game tonight that, you know, speed used to be such a cool element in these games. um, And it's just not anymore. You just, you just don't see it anymore. I think it's interesting that we still have some superstars who can run like that. Christian Yelich is another one that steals a lot more bases than the typical superstar player in this era and runs the bases really well, too, even when he's not stealing the bases. If you watch Yelich at all, it's similar to Betts. I mean, the guy that easily goes first to third, uh, just is in complete control, kind of does everything technically about as clean as you can while running, and it's a very overlooked facet of the game in so many circles. Uh, By the way, all of this talk about Betts and the Red Sox decision to trade him, we're going to have those conversations when Cleveland trades Francisco Lindor. Like, I know he hasn't quite reached the ceiling of bets, but it's a similar type of decision. I think Cleveland's going to go down the same path Boston did. They're going to prefer flexibility, put that on a jersey, and, you know, look, it, you're just not going to get great value back. Like, you can get the, the poo-poo platter, as Eno calls it. You can get multiple players back. You can get those years of control. You can get above-average contributors, but you don't get high ceiling top end players back in those deals anymore it just doesn't happen because the elite of the elite prospects really don't get traded like you're just not going to find robert adele you know those guys aren't going anywhere unless you trade with the pirates because they give those guys away (laughs) (laughs) Uh, always fun to rip on the pirates (laughs) 
One one thing that uh, I was thinking about, I'm I'm, I'm trying to research this um, in the off season. I got some data on it, and I'll and I'll write about it. But um, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast too. Like speed is important uh, for defensive value as you age. Um, think about Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, think about even like Curtis Granderson when he signed that deal with the Mets. Some people thought that wasn't a good deal with the Mets because he was near the end of his career. He struck out too much. Well, his speed allowed him to be a defensive asset in in the corner outfield. He still had the power and the patience. Um, he, as Mookie Betts gets worse and worse, the speed will make sure that he's still a good defender. Uh, Lindor, the speed will make sure that Lindor can can play third base when he can't play short. But also, the speed is is re- is relevant when it comes to um, where defenders play you. If you've watched Albert Pujols this this past season, the defenders were all in the outfield grass. There was almost like zero infielders for for de- defending him, and that takes away hits that he would even get because he's just so slow to first that they can play him so far back. So speed is just one of those things that is kind of hard to see. And if you do something like just try to take speed as a tool in the minors and correlate that to future success, you won't do well um, because you'll find a lot of like Magnurius Sierra types. You'll find a lot of like guys who ended up Terrence Gore types. You'll find guys that were just speed only. But if you add speed to the rest of the package, that's when you get superstars. I mean, even Bryce Harper signing his deal, Manny Machado signing his deal, speed was part of that because they were, even Jason Hayward, which may not have been an amazing deal, but like the speed was a part of that. They they showed that speed. So hopefully more teams begin to realize that and, and maybe it's not like we'll have a ton of more stolen bases, but they'll value speed more and you'll start to see more and more players with speed. You'll start to see more and more players with 10 or 15 steals as opposed to finding a lot of guys who steal 80 or whatever. Like, that That almost seems right. gone. I mean, we're just not going to give a guy who has no power and speed. We're not going to give Billy Hamilton a full season to get to 80 to 100 steals. But we could get more and more guys who steal 15 and 20, you know? Functional athleticism, right? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's... Even if it's not just straight line speed, it's good decision making. It's a quick first step. It's all these things that will age really well, even if straight line speed itself maybe tails off as you you get past age 30. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Let's take a look ahead to Game 2. At the time of this recording, we don't know exactly who's starting for the Dodgers. I'm waiting for it to scroll by, uh, but I have not seen it. We've assumed it's going to be some combination of maybe Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May. Uh, I I don't think we'll see Julio Urias. I don't think it's impossible if they wanted to go a little shorter with him as part of the mix, but the 
the big thing for the Dodgers from game one is that all the relievers they used behind Kershaw were basically the B-team relievers, and if they needed to use any of them in game two on Wednesday, they all should be available because none of them even reached 20 pitches, and you've got the off day coming up on Thursday. Uh, so if the decision were yours, Eno, what would your pitching plan be for the Dodgers for game two? You got one win in the bank. You didn't use your A-team, really, reliever-wise. I think there's still some relievers. You know, you could put together the best reliever squad that you've got, and you've got the off day after it. So I think this is the perfect time to try and give your the rest of your starters rest and uh, go in there and do a Gonsolin-May situation. If you can get four innings from Gonsolin-May and then you just start breaking out the A-team relievers, I think you, you can maybe get there having given up you know, against this offense, two, three runs, uh, and you just hope that you score four or five runs against them. I knew your boy Gonsolin was going to be in there. I'm thinking to myself, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. He's going to say it. Oh, there it is. Uh. <laughs> it's, but it's, a good, it's the best plan. I mean, the only thing the Rays were looking to do there late was to try to force Dave Roberts to put some of those guys in tonight, right? That's what it seemed like yeah. after – you know, the middle innings, it's like, all right, they're probably not going to come back. Are they going to hit six solo home runs? No? Okay. Then what's the next best thing to get those relievers in? Like they did in the Astros series when they forced Presley out there. That that I think that was somewhat meaningful. It didn't end up being specifically meaningful, but it was like, okay, we, we forced Presley into the game. Next time he play, pitches, it's four times yeah. in a row. and he rolled his ankle too, didn't he? Is that the outing that he like kind of rolled his ankle? Yeah, so... Yeah. So in this one, you got like you got Jansen, who's now at that new velocity. Uh, you didn't use Trinan. You didn't use Bruzdar. So that's three guys. And then you can reuse some of the guys used tonight because they didn't go that long. So I thought we might have seen Jansen tonight because it was a blowout. You can ease him in. Were you guys surprised at all? I thought maybe instead of Joe Kelly, they would have put Jansen in just to, just to get his feet wet, get his confidence going. No? Was I the only one who thought that? I think because he did it in the last series, they didn't have to. Had they not seen that velocity come back, then this may have been a situation where they did it. Now, I think I was beginning to look at Nick Anderson again and reconsidering what Eno was saying about his velo being way down last time out. The same questions we were asking about Kenley Jansen almost a week ago were sort of asking those questions about Anderson. Like Reliever velocity can be so fickle. It can come and go after a couple of days off, after a mechanical tweak, it can come back. I mean, I don't think it's a full-on, like, the sky is falling situation. So, like, what do you think the problem could be? Like, is, is it mechanical? Is it workload? Is it a little from A, a little from B? I, I get the sense, like, we'll, we'll know what the Rays think based on how they use him, but I just, I just want to see, like, how much do they trust him right now? Are they, are they comfortable putting him out there in the highest leverage spot if... That's what the matchups dictate. I don't know, man. Two two whiffs on the fastball in the postseason from Nick Anderson. Velo down. Uh, not you know not really placing the curveball. I saw that his uh, his release point was down all year. Uh, he didn't get the same ride on his fastball all year. Um, I don't know. I just think uh, I think that his regular season ERA obscured. Uh, some mechanical stuff that we're starting to see come to come to fruit here now. So, um, I mean, we I think if you kind of now think back, Peter Fairbanks was the guy. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So I, I would say Peter Fairbanks is really the closer right now. Uh, and next time they bring Nick Anderson in, uh, I, I think I would. I think it'll maybe be not necessarily like you know blowout, but it'll be something where I think they'll do it in the Peter Fairbanks situation where it's early enough in the game that if he does give up a run or two, they can get back in it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he they they do need him if they're going to beat the Dodgers here now over a seven-game series. And while we don't know what the Dodgers are doing tomorrow, we know the Rays are sending Blake Snell to the mound, right? And it kind of feels like a must-win, right? I mean, you're not crazy about the idea of going down 2-0. Um, talk about a guy who... We don't really know what we're going to get either. There's no way he goes as many pitches as Glass now, right? There's no zero there's chance. no way they try to force <laughs> no him chance. like through this now. They have to manage this more like, I think, with the off day, especially looming, as Eno pointed out. Kevin Cash has to manage this a little more like elimination game. And it was almost like he kind of hung back a little, you know, knowing this is a long series, maybe knowing like, all right, we're probably not going to come back the way Kershaw's pitching. I don't know if that factored in. But they can't do that tomorrow. You can't just sit out there and watch the Dodgers put up four or five runs and say, well, there goes that one. So what what do you guys expect out of Blake Snell, I guess? Like, what what do you think we're going to see? What Blake Snell are we going to see tomorrow? Cy Young Blake Snell or 2020 Blake Snell? The command hasn't been there. He's never reached the sixth inning in a postseason start. He's made, I think, five of them now going back to last season. That's never happened, and it would be very surprising if it happened against the Dodgers. It's not impossible. He has the stuff to do it. He has to be crisp with his command, though. Like, there's just there's so little margin for error. The Dodgers punish mistakes so well. They put so many balls in play. They have so many guys who can hurt you. Even the bottom of their order, like Chris Taylor against lefties, Kike Hernandez against lefties, those are not matchups you feel great about especially second and third time through the order if it gets that far. I don't think Snell's going to see those guys a third time because they're buried, but I think we see five and fly, and that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. That might just be good timing and Kevin Cash sort of getting back to the magic touch of getting to the pen and, and just putting the relievers out there in, in the right order. I think that's that's the best-case scenario you know, for the Rays, and I think the other thing we got to see is we got to see the, as they switch their lineup back over to their their righty lineup. You get G Man Choi, Austin Meadows back in, uh, Hunter Renfro, Yandy Diaz probably go back to the bench. They've got to figure something out. Brandon Loud did not look good. Those were ugly plate appearances for him in Game One. So you need to find those secondary sources. There were some other uh, down lineup uh, good good feelings. I mean uh, Kevin Kiermaier coming out there with the bad wrist and hitting a homer. That was one of three uh, homers by lefties off of Kershaw's slider this entire year. Um, and it came with him coming right back off of injury. I, th- I feel like, you know, he's one of the few guys that has like a league average strikeout rate. So he counts as like a contact guy for them. Brousseau got a hit. Wendell got a hit. And he had another one where it was super close. Um, and uh, Margot got a hit. I don't know. There's There were some percolations uh, down lineup. And they just, they're these... They need more of that. You know, they just need more of that. You're right. I mean, you're right, but also, you know, if they'd scored one or two more runs, you would have think you'd have thought, oh, the Rays could win this one. 
And I think the thing that happened, too, the Dodgers made a few really nice defensive plays. I mean, Justin Turner, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. took away uh, a ball that Yanni Diaz hit really hard. Mike Zanino with runners on in a situation where one swing, I think, would have made it a two-run game, ripped one back up the middle, like 105 and change, and it just happened to find the glove of Victor Gonzalez. Credit to him to like have the wherewithal to turn around and uh, double off the runner on second to end the inning. But that was a scalded ball. It really, it was a two-thirds of an inning scoreless appearance for Victor Gonzalez, but it wasn't good with two hard-hit balls and one very hard-hit ball that could have opened up a rally. 105.6 with a 660 XBA. I don't know. That one was a real big turning point. Turned into a double play, not even just a one out. Yeah, that 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 was critical. Real quick, game of two predictions. What do you got, Britt? Well, I picked the Rays to win the series. So if I pick them to lose game two, then I'm not looking too good overall. So <laughs> 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 I'm going to have to go stick with the Rays. Hopefully they find a way to win. Like you said, Blake Snell, just, just five innings. That's all, that's all they ask. I, they're going to have to eke it out. I'm going to say six to five Rays tomorrow or today. Oh, six yeah. to five. They're going to hit a lot of home runs, a lot of solo <laughs> shots. <laughs> yeah, I've, I had this one circled as a Rays win. So even though I think I had Dodgers and six, I, I kind of thought the Snell starts would be uh, some of the best uh, situations for the Dodgers. So once you get back to Morton Bueller, and Urias Yarbrough bullpen, you know, that's when the Dodgers start winning again. But uh, this one, I think I can see the Rays winning. Yeah, I'm going to go like 6 3 Rays, I think. Yeah, I think, I think, and if it is, if it's more than 6 3, then they can rest some of the bullpen, and then maybe some of that bullpen game situation starts to favor them. But, um, you know, bullpen game against Urias, Urias is a, is a good starter. So, yeah, and this one, uh, Gonsolin May. If it is Gonsolin May against uh, Snell, I'm taking Snell. All right, there you have it. We are all on the raise for game two. That's the way it was drawn up at the beginning of the series. We'll see if it actually plays out that way on Wednesday night. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get all the playoff coverage, Brit's articles, Eno's articles, Everything we got going on Twitter, she's at Britt underscore Giroli. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you after game two. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.